0: Hello and welcome to episode four of Get Flushed, the portable sanitation podcast. My name's Pete and I'm your host. Get Flushed is rapidly becoming a global phenomenon. We now have listeners in 12 different countries and 21 US states. That audience includes people from the wider community as well as those in the sanitation industry. And we shouldn't be surprised by that, you know, we all go to the bathroom whether we like to admit it or not. Some of you will have noticed that we've been really busy promoting the show over the last two weeks. We've made calls, sent emails and we've posted the show on all different forms of social media. Last week I was invited to join a roundtable meeting on Zoom and that was hosted by the Portable Sanitation Industry Association in the United States. And so I joined over 80 other guests to hear the industry response to the global COVID-19 crisis. At the end of the meeting, I posted an invite to listen to the show on the chat page. Now, I'm not sure the organisers were entirely happy I'd done that. I'll apologise if I offended anybody. But, you know, Get Flushed is the first and only podcast dedicated to portable sanitation. It's weekly, it's free, and it's great to have all of the new listeners on board. We're also starting to get messages from listeners and I had an email from a listener called Wendy who said that I missed out agriculture in my market segmentation model in episode two. If you remember, I said the market could be divided into residential building, civil construction, events and public health. Wendy wrote that in some parts of the world, agriculture is also a major segment too. Well, you're absolutely right, Wendy. Whether it's crop-based work in fields, vineyards or orchards, or herd-based work like shearing, portable toilets offer a clean and convenient sanitation solution in remote locations. And I'd widen that to include forestry. Certainly here in New Zealand, the days of digging latrines in a forest have long gone, and forestry teams all over now have a portable toilet on site for their workers. The audio quality in that second episode wasn't great. I've bought a new microphone and I've gone back in and re-recorded that episode to include forestry and agriculture as the fifth and sixth elements in my model with the Olympic rings. Thank you, Wendy. This week, I thought we'd have a look at what happens when portable toilets are assembled. I've been out on the tools with a friend, helping a business build a dozen new toilets for their fleet. We're also going to think about the lifespan of a portable toilet and look at what happens when they reach the end of their profitable working life. Now I recorded some audio, which I'm going to play in the background as I carry on through this next segment. Please don't let that put you off. We went out to assemble some Meridian Standard Toilets, or MSTs. These toilets are made by Shawlink International in the United Kingdom and they're shipped to New Zealand in flat-pack form in containers. The Meridian is imported and distributed here by Shawlink Australasia and is a fairly common model used by portable sanitation operators here in New Zealand. It comes in both long drops and flushing tank models and with or without hand basins. The ones we built were open tanks with urinals and for everyone watching in black and white they were bright blue. When we arrived at the yard the first thing we did was check that everything had been properly delivered. We unpacked the pallets, checked the parts against the packing slip and agreed that everything was there and we were all set to start building. The main components were the base, tank, doors, rear wall and side panels and of course the roof. Next to those we laid out the ancillary items like the urinal, the toilet seat, vent pipe, door handles and the fixing kits. Now the first thing you notice about a Meridian is the quality of the parts. The plastic is really smooth and well finished. There are no sharp edges and no extra swarf for bits of plastic that you have to cut off before you can start. All of the holes line up first time every time and all of the bits were there. Now that's not always the case. I'm certainly not going to embarrass other suppliers, but we've assembled toilets from three or four different manufacturers and not all of them send the right parts and not all of them have that level of finish quality. The Meridian also has a very simple design that makes it very easy to build. There aren't any tricky fillets or reinforcing rods on the corners that take ages to insert they have semicircular scallops or cutouts along the top edge of each wall panel that allow the air to flow in and out of the cabin. Some manufacturers use mesh screens there that need to be riveted into place. That doesn't sound like a major job, but it becomes a huge pain when you have to slide in six panels, drill nine holes, and fix nine more rivets on every toilet. And when you're assembling a container of, say, 60 toilets, that gives you another 1,440 separate tasks. It was a nice sunny day with a very slight breeze so we decided to work outside. We put some boards down to give us a clean work surface and we were wearing our safety boots, goggles and of course our earplugs. We could also wear gloves but we're handling a lot of small parts and we want to feel what's going on so we're just going to work in bare hands today. We do have some power tools but not very many. We've got an air compressor and a pneumatic rivet gun because we're going to install about 100 fixings. We've a battery powered drill with a five millimeter bit for the rivet holes and a 25 mm spade bit for when we fit the urinals. And a battery powered impact driver because we've got to fit some screws around the base. That's pretty much it in terms of tooling. Most toilet manufacturers publish assembly instructions and sometimes even a video. The first one you build is always a struggle, but once you've done a few, you tend to work out your preferred method. Some teams make one at a time from start to finish. We like to build four or five at a time and complete the same step on each cabin before we move on to the next stage. And we do that because it suits our workspace and we like to structure our day that way. Our preferred workflow has seven stages. We assemble the walls, we join the walls to the door, we add the roof, we attach the cabin to the base, we install the tank, we add the fixtures and fittings, and lastly, we do a final check to make sure everything's properly finished. Now that's not the method that Shorelink recommend in their video, but it's the one that works best for us. While the audio of the build plays in the background, I'd like to think about what is the life expectancy of a plastic portable toilet cabin, and what happens when they reach the end of that working life. Modern plastic is fairly tough, and I'm familiar with toilets that are still at work that were built in the late 70s or early 80s. But just because something can last 40 or 50 years, doesn't necessarily mean that it should. Because they spend all of their working life outdoors in the open air, plastic portable toilets are vulnerable to radiation from sunlight and ultraviolet rays. Even if special polymers or UV inhibitors are added when the toilets are made, the plastic will eventually start to show its age. What happens is the UV light causes polyethylene to degrade and break down. It starts to go brittle and hard and over time it starts to crack and split. This is less of a problem on the waste tank which is hidden inside the toilet but the roof panel is usually the first part to go, especially if webbing straps or straps are thrown over the top and used to tie the toilet down either on site or when it's transported on a truck or trailer. That additional pressure causes extra stress on an already weakened part and fairly soon the roof splits. With that in mind, I work with a local company to design trailers that can hold 18 toilets in place without needing to be tied down. I'm not going to say anything more about that today, that's more for another episode. The first sign of UV wear is fading and some colours seem to be more vulnerable than others. Orange and red seem to fade really fast while green, yellow and blue tend to hold their colour really well. Perhaps more noticeable than UV damage is just general wear and tear. Toilets get knocked, get used and they just start to show their age. Another cause of wear is accidental damage, which happens when perhaps a truck reverses into a toilet on site, the builder accidentally splashes the cabin with paint or plaster, it gets graffitied, or maybe it gets blown over in a storm. I've even seen toilets that have fallen off a truck. Sometimes that damage can be so catastrophic that the toilet is beyond salvage or repair. The toilet I saw when it fell 300 meters from a cradle suspended beneath a helicopter and the one that was swept out to sea in a violent storm and then smashed against the coastal rocks were good examples of toilets with catastrophic damage. Now, whatever the cause, operators with a damaged toilet typically have three options. They can run with it, they can repair it, or they can retire it. Let's look at those three. A lot of toilets on site seem to have minor damage. Maybe a broken dispenser, a missing coat hook, perhaps the rivets have popped out on a side steam. As long as the tank isn't leaking, minor damage doesn't necessarily affect the general usability of the toilet. But you have to ask, does it give your customers the image you want to project for your business? Bringing toilets back to the yard for deep clean and repair should be an essential part of every portable toilet operation. Yep, it creates extra work, but your customers will appreciate a nice fresh toilet, especially if the old one's been on site for a long time. And you know, minor damage tends to be the thin end of the wedge. Small damage here encourages more damage there, and pretty soon you're looking at major repairs. That's often the case with graffiti. One tag attracts another tag, and fairly soon the cabin is covered. Unless several panels and the roof are damaged or the tank is split and the doors missing it makes sense to repair toilets and extend their working life. With good aftermarket support spare parts should be readily available. On many models the cabins are designed in a way that makes repairs quick and easy. Swapping a roof involves drilling out the old rivets, removing the broken roof, lifting on the new one and popping in new fixings. It's a 10 minute job. but. In countries like New Zealand where the majority of cabins are imported, access to spares is not always quick and easy. It should be your primary consideration when choosing which model of toilet to buy. Some manufacturers are really well represented here and have great local distributors, others less so. Any time with the toilet out of service while you wait for spares means that the unit is not earning its keep. Sometimes though, the cabin is just too old, too tired or too far gone to repair. That could be the result of catastrophic damage. Other times it's nothing more than old age. One supplier here has a fleet of orange toilets that must be 30 years old, and they've faded and are well worn. Although they still work, you have to say they look out of place, especially on brand new subdivisions where other providers offer brand new toilets in modern designs and bright colors. So what are the options if we decide to retire our toilet? Well, we can sell them. There are always buyers looking for single loos, lifestylers, doomsday preppers, sports clubs, anyone with a remote location, even other sanitation providers. The problem in a small market like here is that when you sell toilets, you potentially remove future opportunities for hire. The second option is to strip them, pull off the usable parts and get rid of the rest. Unfortunately though, the spare parts you need most are always the ones that break first. If they've broken on one toilet, they've usually broken on others of the same age. Obvious saves would be the toilet seat, the dispensers, the door locks, and maybe hinges. But other than a few panels, bases, and doors, I wouldn't clutter up my yard with a huge pile of well-worn parts just in case we need them. The third option is to dump the toilets, dismantle them, cut them up, dispose of them. A wood hogger or industrial shredder will handle portable toilets without any dramas. And the waste can go to landfill. Now that's not very sustainable or eco-friendly and it may not be very cheap. The fourth option is to recycle the toilets. There are specialist plastic recyclers who will take the doors, wall panels and roofs and they may pay for the raw material supplied. The local place here won't take the toilet tanks because of hygiene concerns mainly around the smell but everything else they will shred and heat and make plastic crumbs or pellets that go back into new products. So who knows, next time you see freshly minted road cones they may contain recycled loose. Okay, we're coming to the end of the show and we've taken slightly less than it took us to build a toilet. Our average time was about 22 minutes for a Meridian. I do know teams that can build them in under 15, but we were fairly leisurely in our approach. Next week we're going to look at vacuum pumps, tanks and suction hoses and we'll think about some of the different setups that are used here and overseas to make the ideal sanitation rig. Although I've got plenty of material and I've planned enough episodes to see us through, yeah. certainly towards the end of the year, this show is primarily about the people who make up the sanitation industry, whether they're suppliers, providers, operators, drivers or customers. If you are involved in the industry or if you're a user of portable toilets and you would like to take part in the show, please get in touch. You can email podcast at getflushed.online Or you can jump onto our Facebook page and leave us a message. I promise it will be a fairly painless experience. I am a sympathetic host and I really want to present stories that help people promote their businesses. I do hope you've enjoyed the show. Please remember to subscribe so that you don't miss next week's episode. And as I say, if you'd like to take part in the show, don't hesitate to get in touch either by email or through the Facebook page. Yeah. Once again, I've been Pete and you've been listening to Get Flushed, the portable sanitation podcast.